We uh, sang just a few moments ago, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And I don't know if anything resonated in your heart when you sang that, but for me, I sort of thought to myself, that's the whole message right there. If we can get that, that idea down in our minds that the Lord has for us both strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We're going to do our best to beat the rain this morning. Way to go, guys. Way to be brave. Those of you who are out here on the lawn, you know, I see you're, you're kind of ready to go. I don't know if you did what I do, but I, I sort of check out all the different weather channels to figure out which one I like the best. You know, well, this one says this, well, this one actually looks good. So, you know what I mean? So I've been kind of keeping my eye on those, but we're going to do our best to, uh, to beat the rain today, which I do find it a little ironic that I prayed just moments ago that the Lord would bring water to dry ground. So he, he knows what we mean and what we need. Today we're going to be looking in a, beginning a new series in 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. The series is going to be entitled, Living in Light of Eternity. And I'd like you to think for a moment, especially as we think about the rain that we're trying to beat this morning, I want you to think as we get started in this new series about the amount of things that are outside of your control. Think about the things that are outside of your control. We hope that the weather will cooperate, but we can't change it if it won't. We had a lengthy discussion this week. Uh, the, some of this, our staff gathered together to talk about next steps in our pandemic response. And hours after we had mapped out next steps, the CDC made a pretty significant announcement regarding mask wearing for those people who are fully vaccinated. And then suddenly, many of the plans that we thought were sort of locked down didn't quite feel like they were in the right places anymore. And so we say, okay, we got to kind of reestablish uh, our plans. We need to reevaluate, and we are doing that. We're in the process of figuring out our next steps, and we will do our best, to, as always, to keep you posted. I was thinking about even this week in the news, over these last couple weeks, I mean, who would have thought something like a cyber attack on a, a, a fuel pipeline would send so much of our country into a a strange and panicky response, and I was having a weird time getting my mind around the fact that all of a sudden there's gasoline, panic gasoline buying happening. Last year it was toilet paper people were panicking over, now it's gasoline. But I'm saying all of these things simply to say, imagine, if you will, the amount of things that are outside of your control right now. This has been a challenging season on many fronts. And we've been forced to deal with all kinds of circumstances that are outside of our control. And it can be really frustrating, and it can be also really humbling. I guess I would say it to you this way, it's very easy when things are shaking around us to lose heart and even to lose hope as we look at the relentless wind and waves and we sort of feel a little bit like Peter. We want to walk on the water because that's what Jesus was doing and that's where Jesus was. But we find ourselves at times unable to stay above the storm. And so in this series, by God's grace, our hope is to simply get our eyes back to the Savior, to see that he is in fact working even amidst the many things that we can't control ourselves. 
He has not lost control of his world. Well, the sad reality is that we can get so caught up in the temporary that we lose sight of that which is eternal. I don't know if you've experienced that, but we get just so focused on the things that are right in front of us, the things that are pressing, that we can lose sight of that which is eternal. And I think a big part portion of 1 Thessalonians was written with the idea of getting people's minds back to the things that are of eternal value. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way. I love this quote from Mere Christianity. He says, Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever. And this must either be true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I was only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Eternal perspective. So our prayer as we begin this adventure is that God will wake us up, will refine us, will refocus us, and cause us to live in the light of eternity. 1 Thessalonians begins with a greeting from Paul, Paul, Silas, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And then he says this, this is where we're going to pick up today in verse 2. Paul writes, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us. From the coming wrath. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So I'd like to look at three points with you as we look at this passage of scripture. The first one being Paul's return to the big three. He talks often about faith and love and hope. And in this passage, no differently, he says this. He says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what he's drawing the Thessalonians to is he's reminding them of the things that are important, the things that are of eternal value. And as we read uh, 1 Thessalonians and as we study it over these coming weeks, we'll be drawn back to the marks of true Christianity, the marks of the things that show us to be followers 
of Jesus Christ. We'll be reminded in the midst of our challenging journey that we're all on in one way or the other of the things that really matter. Uh, how many of you read the uh, Chronicles of Narnia? Lots of Chronicles. So, so shout out your favorite Chronicle of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, go ahead. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think you all got it right. They're all so good. I mean, there's just so many good things from them. One of my favorites is the silver chair. And uh, in the silver chair, uh, it begins, the beginning of the book starts with Jill getting this mission from Aslan. And as she's sent down into Narnia to follow these things, she finds throughout the story that the clarity of her calling has been diminished by the challenges of her journey. And I think in a very beautiful and prophetic way, C.S. Lewis is weaving something of, of value and importance to us because oftentimes the calling and the clarity of our calling becomes diminished by the challenges of our journey. And if you've read the story, if you haven't, I'd give you an opportunity. I, I would love for you to do that. But if you haven't read it, you'll find that she realizes with some dismay that she has not only been missing the signs that she was called to look for, but she has stopped looking for them or reciting them altogether. This is the challenge of staying the course that each of us must face in our call to pursue Christ. So Paul gives us this uh, this calling back, as, you, as it were, to the big three. Uh, this is a common Pauline triad, the essential markers of the Christian life, faith and love and hope. They show up in a lot of places. In Romans 5, Paul writes this. He says, we've been given access by faith into this grace. We boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord, and God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Faith, hope, and love. Galatians 5, Paul writes this, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. There's faith and hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Ephesians 4, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He goes on to say, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And perhaps most succinctly, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In our passage today, the final position belongs to hope, which seems fitting in a letter that is so concerned with what will happen in the second coming of Christ. Paul actually references all throughout, in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, the second coming of Christ and end times. We see it in chapter 1, verse 10, which we've read today. We see it in chapter 2, verse 12, 19 to 20. We see it in chapter 3, 13, chapter 4, 13 to 18, chapter 5, 1 to 11, and 23 to 24. It comes up in every chapter of this book. In this particular passage, Paul says this, People living in light of eternity demonstrate these kind of things. Kingdom works that are connected to faith. Kingdom labor that flows out of love. And then finally, an endurance or steadfastness that comes 
from hope. It's actually a good segue to take us into our second point. We see also in this passage that people living in light of eternity seem to have a joy even amidst suffering. Uh, he, He commends the Thessalonian church this way. He says, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I love this passage of Scripture. I love this whole book so dearly. It's, it's always been one that's been very special to me. But I love how Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, first of all, he says this, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. One commentator wrote it this way. He said that the gospel came to them also not only in word, but in power. They not only heard the sound of it, but they submitted to the power of it. It did not merely tickle the ears and please the fancy, but it and did not merely fill their heads with notions and amuse their minds for a while, but it affected their hearts. A divine power went along with it for convincing their consciences and amending their lives. And now we see Paul writing to this this dear people and he's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And he's saying, I know that the gospel has taken root in you because I have seen it in your response. Now I'm intrigued by this notion, especially given our circumstances and what has been a difficult year that we've come through. I'm intrigued by this notion that the Thessalonian church was demonstrating joy even amidst what Paul calls severe suffering with the joy of the Holy Spirit. If you look in Acts chapter 17, you can actually read the story of when Paul begins his ministry in Thessalonica, and you find that there was a severe persecution that came out, especially from the religious elite, against the new faith that was being professed. Now, one of the things I find really interesting when I read Acts chapter 17 is the complaint was this. They said, they are proclaiming another king, Jesus. They're proclaiming another king. They're proclaiming a different loyalty. And this was very disruptive to the powers that be. It was very upsetting to the people. But there's another thing in Acts chapter 17 that I like even more, and it's this. It says, these people who are all stirred up about Jesus, they are turning the world upside down. And now they're doing it here. And I have to hear a passage like that, and I step back and I say, wow, wouldn't it be kind of neat if the reputation of Jesus-loving people in our region and beyond was this. These are the kind of people that turn the world upside down. These are the kind of people that bring a fearless faith to the forefront of their lives so that everywhere they go, things are being changed. And yeah, it's a disruption. It can be difficult because when you come out of darkness and into light, that's a massive disruption, but the world is being turned upside down. This is what people said about them. But Paul is saying this, even amidst your suffering, even amongst, amidst the persecution and the things that have come against you in your faith, your faith is being revealed even through these trials. Church, as we consider 
the challenges that we have navigated, each of us in our various ways, frustrations, setbacks, loss. Do we have joy even amidst our suffering? Would that be true of us as we keep our eyes on eternal things? You see, the beautiful thing, church, is that Scripture gives us room to grieve our losses. Scripture gives us room to be honest, to emote. It gives us room to wrestle. We don't simply put on a happy face and live in a state of denial. But there is an underlying joy And I've seen it in so many of your faces. I've seen it in so many of your lives, even in the midst of trials, to give glory to Jesus who is with us, even in the midst of them. I was contemplating this this, uh, quote that I heard from William Hazlitt. I'm going to paraphrase it for you today. He says, humanity is the only part of creation that both laughs and weeps because we're stuck with the difference between what things are and what they ought to be. And sometimes in Christ, in this journey as we're walking, there will be times where we're not sure whether we should be laughing or weeping. This is one of the tensions of following Christ. But there is joy even in our pain. And there is hope even in our suffering. I was reminded of that as we sang, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. May we receive that. The last point I'd like us to lean into, and really the thing that drew me to this passage, is that we see a reputation of the Thessalonian people and a godly witness. Verse 7 to 10 talks about that. Paul says this, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. That's sort of a powerful thing. It causes me to reflect a little bit on the notion of a reputation. If people are talking, what would they say? How would you be known? How would you be remembered? I received a a wonderful compliment a little over a year ago. I was talking with a neighbor friend and uh, she doesn't really isn't connected to our church or anything like that. But she she made mention of a of a friend that we that we had a mutual friend that we had, uh, someone who attends this church, and she was sort of going on and saying, "Oh wow, just such a neat guy, and just really appreciate you know his family and all and all of these kind of things." And then as as we were talking about this mutual friend, she said, "You know, I've come to realize something." I said, "What's that?" She said. The most wonderful people that I know in this town all go to your church. I mean, that was awesome. An unprompted sort of compliment that, I mean, there's moments where as a pastor, you just kind of go, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. But then there's these moments where you go, That's a, that, that makes you feel sort of good. That, that there's an impact, and I don't know which people of you have, have interacted with her and in what ways, but there's something among the collective reputation of some folks who are a part of us, a part of our church family, that have made an impression on somebody else so that, that she would say, and, and maybe not fully understanding what it is to walk with Jesus, I don't know her full uh, connection to the Lord, but for her to say there's something special about those people, Something special about that group. 
How will you be known? How will you be remembered? How will you be thought of? How will you be talked about? What is the impression? What is the fragrance of Christ that you leave in your community? These are, these are powerful and important questions. In verse 7 to 10, Paul says this. He says, well, so he, here's, what, here's what the people are saying about you. They, they've recognized a life change in you that is significant, that you have turned from your idols. You know, some of you, you, you know people that when they've come to Christ, and maybe your life has told that story, that people stand up and take notice that there is a new priority in your life. You've turned from the things that you used to be drawn to and are now serving the living God. That's what Paul said about the Thessalonians. He said, yeah, the people know it. They know that you've turned from your ways of idolatry and that you are now serving the Lord. And then he said this one. I think this is an important one for us. He said, and they also note that you are waiting. You are a people marked by waiting on the return of Christ. And throughout this series, if, if we get one thing right, I hope that in our teaching and preaching and, and, and responding together, that there might be a collective sense that we are waiting with more intentionality on our, on our coming King, that we are living in light of eternity, not simply caught up in the latest thing around us, but to be able to say, yes, we believe in a King who is coming back for His church. In that spirit, I want to give you just a couple of challenges today, and then we're going to wrap up. The first challenge is in the area of prayer. I don't think that we can live in light of eternity without doubling down in the area of prayer. We're going to give you a couple of opportunities in the coming weeks. But we want to just kind of seed the clouds just a little bit. Oh, another rain reference. Be careful on that. Uh, we want to just, just have you thinking a little bit in this area, that right now that our, our local churches, the city church gathering, uh, we have some plans in place to cover every hour of every week in revival-based prayer, that we would have every, every hour covered, some from people from our church, some from other churches, but gathering together that every hour of every week would be covered in saying, come Lord Jesus. And work, Lord Jesus, and stir in your people and simply saying, we want to pray until revival comes. Because without prayer, we will not see it. And so we want to give you the challenge to embrace your calling to be a people of prayer. As the opportunities arise, be hungry and come in to say, yes, I want to be a part of that. So we're going to unfold a couple of those opportunities in the coming weeks. But prayer... The second challenge I want to give you is this. I believe that as a church, we're coming through a season of regathering. Right now, we're in the season of regathering. This is the words that we've been using with our leadership and our staff. That means this is an important time to be reaching out to one another, to be connecting with one another. If there's some folks that you haven't seen over the last year, reach out to them. See how they're doing. See how we might be regathering. As we come through a season of regathering, we're going to be moving into a season of rebuilding. Does that scare you or excite you? Out of curiosity. Some of you are saying, I don't, I don't want to answer that right now. Let me think about it. 
Let me think. <laughs> there we go. A season of rebuilding. Look, the fact of the matter is, we've experienced something in this last year that was unscripted. And I know that there are those that would say, well, you just didn't read the right script. And maybe I wasn't, maybe I was. But it was an unscripted, unparalleled, unprecedented kind of season for all of us. So now as we come into a, a, a new time and a new season, the critical question is that we ask as people living in light of eternity is what is Jesus saying to the church now? That I think is the most critical question that we can be asking as we rebuild. And there is something exciting about simply saying, Jesus, what would you have us do now? What would you have us do now? Maybe there were some things that we were lacking before that he wants us to do. Maybe there were some things that we did before that he wants us to do more of. But there is an excitement that comes of saying, Lord, as we come through a season of regathering and into a season of rebuilding, what is Jesus saying to the church now? The last thing, I want to I be uh, honest in terms of giving you an opportunity for how you can uh, be engaged with us in this season. Um, I, I want to just talk about giving for a minute. You know, this is a great opportunity for us as a church family as we band together to be able to say, we are, we are, this is a practical way to say, we are in. We're moving forward. We're trusting the Lord collectively. A couple of things that we've done over this last year, uh, we've reduced our overall budget for this coming year pretty substantially. Uh, we've reduced some ministry budgets. We've frozen salaries. Uh, we've curtailed certain activities, all in a desire to be part of, of church leadership that is stewarding well. So we're not doing that out of a panic kind of situation. We just want to steward well what the Lord has provided for us. And I, and I want to take a moment to simply say, in terms of reputation and in terms of what God has done, I, I realized even as I was preparing this message, I'm not sure the last time that I said publicly to our church family, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In a, in a year that has been difficult and challenging on so many fronts, thank you for your support. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your stewardship. Thank you for the ways in which you have allowed us to continue moving things forward. So I want to say that publicly. Thank you. We know that many of you have sacrificed so that we can have the ministry here that we have. Doing all of these things and seeing the challenges and opportunities ahead of us I want to note with you that our giving right now to all of our outreach-related ministries is probably as high as it has ever been. And so that is a wonderful joy to be able to see that we are poised right now to make greater kingdom impact even coming out of a season of pandemic. And so for that, we give the Lord all the praise and we say thank you for your support there. I want to let you know that the overall church ministry giving, the sort of home base, is at a lower place than it had been previously. So I would simply ask you in the spirit of leaning in together to be prayerful, to be intentional when you think about your giving over these coming weeks and months. It is a practical way that you can say, I want to support what God is doing here to maximize our kingdom impact. I don't say that to you today in any sense of fear or panic. 
We are going to do our very best as church leaders to continue to steward what God provides to us. And we see a great opportunity ahead as we move. Here's what I'm asking you to consider this morning. Prayer matters. Our church is strongest when we are humbly acknowledging our weakness. That's the great paradox of following Jesus. When we cry out to God, when we wait on him, when we invite his presence, we will see him move. So take the challenge to pray. Take the challenge to participate, to encourage one another. Take the challenge to give and to be a part of what God is doing in this season. I wonder, as we do these kind of things, even in a season where so much is shaken around us, if God would say, I'm I'm trying to establish something in you. I I want the world to see me through you in your faithfulness, in your togetherness, in your kingdom impact that you will make as a church. So we have to have our eyes up. We have to have our eyes looking to Christ if we are to live in light of eternity. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'd like to pray for us in a moment, but here is the challenge as we get started on this adventure. In the midst of circumstances that are oftentimes beyond our control, let us be faithful as we reorient our eyes on Christ and his work. Let us forsake our idols. Let us give our best to the Son from heaven, raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That was what the Thessalonians were becoming known for. May we do the same. And may we keep our eyes on him. May God help us to do that, to keep our eyes on him as we live in light of eternity. I'm looking forward to going through this passage uh, and this book with you over these coming weeks. I trust that you will be able to lean in in some significant ways. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me at this time if you're able. We're going to close this portion in prayer and then we're going to worship together and lift up our voices before the Lord once again. So Jesus, we pray, we pray right now that you might come. Lord, I just sense in my spirit that there's a, there's, a, there's a coming out of a hard time. There's a coming out of a difficult season. We recognize there's still some things to navigate, a few twists and turns, but, but we recognize, Lord, right now your faithfulness. recognize your goodness so Lord I pray that just in the sweetness of your presence today you would just do some some hard work in us to get our eyes just lifted up Lord to believe that you are still working in your world that you are still speaking to your church that you are still giving strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow God, sometimes as your children, we just need to come into your presence and just latch hold of that and say, Lord, to the extent that you are pouring that out, we are receiving that today. Lord, I want to pray right now that if there's anybody listening to this message, that there's eyes, their eyes have never been turned toward the things of eternity because they have been focused on this world, I pray that there would be a spiritual enlightening today there would be a Holy Spirit calling today 
I'm not going to live for myself anymore. You know, I can make an idol out of almost anything. I'm going to turn from my idols, and I'm going to look to the living God today. Lord, I pray that you would call us to live in light of eternity. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken your church. So I'm speaking to those who who know you and are walking with you. Lord, I pray that you would animate our spirits as we receive from you. That you would remind us that you have good things in store. You would remind us that there is work to be done. And that you would stir on us in a special way. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for calling us to live in light of eternity. Help us to do that well as we go through this book together. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,